Okay, hey, this is Stefan Kinsella, um, waiting for Jeff Tucker to join us, and let me, uh, let me find my link here and uh, publicize it so people know what to join it. This is uh, Liberty Talk with Stefan Kinsella. Today is uh, Monday, October uh, 21st. So hold on just a second, and uh, we will be live as soon as Jeff Tucker joins us. And let me send him the link now. So just hold on. Everybody be patient. We're okay, so you can ask a question. We are on live now. Let me see. Here's the link for the event. Jeff, you there? Yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah. All right, little glitches. Hey, that's why we're doing look, you would think by uh, episode five hundred we have all these uh, glitches figured out by now. But anyway, welcome to episode five hundred, everybody. This Hold on a second. Tucker. Okay. Hey guys, I'm on the fly thing up. Yeah. That's all okay. right. Okay. <laughs> hey. 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 Look, we should congratulate ourselves. Episode 500. It's been, I never thought we'd make it this far. What are you talking about, episodes 500? It's episode 500. This is our 500th episode. Well, we better celebrate it somehow. We need champagne or I don't it's know just, what. It's just the first one we recorded. <laughs> I guess that's true in a way. Isn't it? <laughs> Now, you can post this link anywhere you want. I think you can post it on the event page, for example. I just did. I'm okay. way ahead of you, buddy. And, uh, and, and Facebook has been down for all users this morning if you haven't been able to post status updates. But um, that would be another choice. Put it up on Facebook. I just did that, too. Well, we're all good to go then. Okay, so yeah, we're good to go. So, so let's, uh, yeah, let's say hello. This is Stefan Kinsella. It's uh, Monday, October 21st. Jeff Tucker here in Auburn, and I'm here in Houston. And uh, we decided to have a, uh, a regular little discussion like this using this technology. If we can get the kinks worked out, take right. questions, well, talk about recent events. Go ahead. How are you doing, Jeff? You and I, you know, tend to hang out anyway, you know, almost every morning, if truth be told. Uh, you know, it's like 5 a.m., talking about the day's events or whatever. That's right. That's right. I walk pretty early, and you get up and go to the gym, and we talk early every day. And so we figure uh, pearls before swine already. We might as well. Uh, <laughs> Wait, but who's the swine in this scenario? I guess we're mutual swine. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the pearls coming from? Okay, so um, uh, so I wanted to tell you about this weekend. Let's hear about it. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, Students for Liberty, and Students for Liberty, I think, was founded just like three or four years ago, something ridiculous like that. And but it's it's been the first really great, successful libertarian students organization essentially ever. Uh, it makes the YAF from the '60s or you know all this other stuff in the '80s and the '90s look like nothing. Um, 
it's really taken off not just in the United States, like every campus practically, but also around the world. Um, so there's Students for Liberty in you know, Germany and Brazil and just, I mean, they're, they're spreading like crazy. Uh, all started, you know, just, as I said, just a few years ago. And I was really intrigued by, like, I went to the New York Regional Meeting and I think there might have been maybe tops 250, maybe even 300 people there, which was really great. Oh, I should tell you, before the meeting, I just showed up on Friday night and went to a bar and posted a status update on my Facebook. I said, meet me at the bar and uh, just to kind of test out, you know, see how social networking works in terms of assembling people in the real world. And 50 people came. So that was really great. Well, so, so hold on. Let's, let's back up. This was following up an earlier experiment, right? About a week or two earlier in Auburn, right? Yeah, yeah, because we did the same thing in Auburn, got like 11 anarchists all gathered around a table, and it was really great. So I thought, well, I'm going to try the same thing in New York. Let's just see what happens if you just show up anywhere and post a note that says I'm so-and-so. And, you know, anyone can do this, and it's really great because if people are following you, then suddenly you've got a party on your hands. It and sounds like from what you're saying, New York is only five times better than Auburn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It was, it was really great. I saw a lot of old friends like Ed Stringham showed up and I just couldn't believe the number of people and so many cool guys. Uh, a couple of construction workers showed up. You know, they're working late night on a crane or something, you know, and the anarchists, workers, and peasants. And um, uh, they, they showed up at the bar. And anyway, it was just, uh, just a lot of fun. went very late. And then Students for Liberty this next day, uh, like I said, some, I would say about 250 people, maybe more. But you could tell even like when you walked in, there's a very intense sort of energy level. You know, everybody looks great, you know, um, all, the, probably about a third women, which is very unusual. I mean, I'm just estimating here. And um, everybody's kind of dressed really well. I mean, there were you know, dozens of, of bow tie guys, clad guys, which is sort of kind of cool. And, um, you know, everybody's, you know, got smiles on and a sense of joy and, you know, excitement about the day. And people sucking down coffee and enjoying, just sort of socializing for an hour before the, before the uh, before the events began, and it was just an interesting contrast from the past. You know, with um, I remember, you know, 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, where these meetings would be sort of dreary when everybody's sitting around regretting the state of the world. That was not the case here. You could just you could just tell it from the very outset that everybody's really pumped to be around their peeps in a way. And it struck me actually by the end of it that what we're seeing in Students for Liberty is not so much a political movement really. I mean even though there's a certain unity on political ideas um, and the sense that you don't want to have to go over the same territory again and again, you know, um, I think what, what these people like about each other is that, uh, that there is a certain, a certain uh, presumption that the state is not the right means to accomplish, you know, your ends. And so it's a beginning point, not an end point. Um, so it's, I wouldn't say that this is a political movement because people really weren't talking about politics at all. They're talking about the new businesses they want to create. You know, about which, the, which is why they're not depressed and pessimistic. They're, right, they're, yeah. not, they're not looking at the world like, oh my God, we have a 40% state of society and it's so hard to make a change in democracy, but that's all we can do yeah. and try. They're, going, they're doing basically an end run around it. Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, I, I I got this total sense of. I mean, people were talking about movies, about television, you know, about you know businesses and technologies and sharing apps and you know just kind of 
kind of living a lit, rich life together in a way, and just happy to be around uh, people who understood their their point of view and and their sort of life ambitions. Uh, and I, I think that's what makes makes the Students for Liberty different, and what's actually given it, uh, you know, sort of the energy to grow as quickly as it has. So, in other words, it's, a, it's sort of a group organized, I guess, initially along political lines, but but actually transcending politics, dreaming of a of a of a depoliticized life. Um, so that's that was my strong sense. Whoops. Oh, capture smile. There's no open capture smile. Anyway, um, so, um, there are other features of it that were interesting. Because um, I'm always curious to know what is the ideological orientation of a group like this. Um, how tolerant are they towards, you know, anarchist thinking? And I was, you know, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but there's a real openness to sort of radical, radical thought. So, of course, in other words, because their numbers are so big, there's something suspicious about maybe right. they're, we're watering down the message to get the numbers to be bigger. There's, right. There's got to be some. There's gotta be some uh, right. I mean, that's I think in the here. past that's what you would presume, but but I discerned absolutely no attachment whatsoever to sort of. You know, old mythical um, ideas about oh, the constitution needs to be restored or um, anything like that. You know, oh, you know, we we need a we need a minimal state and we're going to use political mechanisms to get it. I mean, you know, there's a there's a there's a a complete hopelessness concerning the capacity of the state to actually purify itself in some way, but therefore a renewed hope in the possibilities of of human freedom um, to organize the world. And so, to that extent, I would say that there's a, there's an implicit and almost universal anarchist premise present in Students for Liberty, like I've never really seen before. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about um, the different groups you and I have been involved with in the last couple of years. Uh, you, you travel and speak way more than I do. I've been to Libertopia. I've been to a Students for Liberty thing. Uh, I was at the Bitcoin conference that you organized in Atlanta. Yeah. And every one of those things is um, was incredible and mind blowing. They're all different in their own ways, and you see much more diversity than that. Doing st students for liberty events and other events around the country and even the world. You're going to Australia soon, I think, right? Yeah, it's, they're all kind of different groups. Um, students for Liberty is, you know, obviously a demographic of of students, um, and that makes it different from Libertopia or. Liberty Forum or something like that. You know what's, what's, what's so interesting to me about this is that you know, I had a chance to talk to a lot of the students. Uh, they look at their schooling as purely instrumental value. It's just something that they do in order to give themselves a leg up in terms of their career. But what's even more interesting than that is that so many of them look at their first jobs out of college. They anticipate that they're going to be sort of low-paying drudgery and not very interesting. Um, but but they're there just to pay the bills, you know, so they pay the cell phones and the rent. But otherwise, uh, the purpose of the job is to is to sort of get them, you know, to, to get them through day to day and and use the nights and the weekends to continue their education uh, right. uh, online, and then to then to start exploring, um, you know, new business ideas. Essentially, they're putting together the networks to. Um, come, come up with, with, with new web platforms, uh, you know, business entrepreneurial ideas, uh, uh, cobble together you know, sort of social groupings that can lead to uh, greater professional success at a later time. But this, all of which is very interesting to me because when I, when I left college, I didn't know anybody who said, well, I'm just going to get this 
little cheesy job over here at this title company and then then use my and save all my money as much as I can and use all my extra time to to start a new business. I mean, I can't remember like anybody saying anything remotely like that, and yet here this seems to be the you know prevailing presumption that this is this is sort of the way you go about things. And, and you and I have been talking before. How would you say? Uh, how would you estimate the differences between say the speakers at these conferences and the audience um, compared to you know the audience of the speakers and also to 10, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it seems to me that the the speakers at some conferences may not be quite as anarchist, but they're they're okay with it. You know, you'll have a guy come in; he's not an anarchist. He knows he's around anarchists. Like at your Bitcoin conference, it was quite interesting. I thought that I don't know, maybe a good one third, one fourth of the audience was not libertarian. They were more into business and technology, right? But they were around a bunch of Austrian crazy anarchists, and they were okay with it. Well, this is the this is the thing. By the way, I just I just shot Manuel Laura this link. Yeah, like, he just joined. Uh, I see he just joined. He, he says that that these invites that you sent out are you know are practically useless. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, I know, I know. This is this is episode five hundred. You know, we're going to get it straight eventually. Okay, I've tried this before too. I had it all messed up. Well, here's the other thing that. Um, Look, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, past generations of libertarians have had only had access to these big treatises. You know, this, the great seminal works. They had they had books, but otherwise they were mostly worked in isolation. And they had limited sort of information flows that we have today, uh, as compared with what we have today. But how how are students learning nowadays? Um, they're learning through, you know, this this blizzard of information. Now now you've got two windows open. Center. I know. So it's a, like a constant blizzard of information. So it's not just that you have, you know, bookshelf of books that you sort of read at your leisure. You know, you're learning like constantly from uh, chats online, from the memes you see on your Facebook account, from your, you check your Twitter, you're checking out links, the news is hitting you just unrelentingly and constantly. Um, you are just, you know, you're gleaning, uh, extracting ideas from everything from you know, Snapchats to, you know, SMS to, you know, it's it's like you're being hammered like every second with, with information. And I, I would say this is very good in a way because what it's doing is training uh, people with a predisposition towards a libertarian worldview to engage the reality much more closely. I mean, so they're, they're getting a much broader exposure to, to ideas, which leads to a necessarily a more eclectic outlook on life. So, um, so the old days where you know to be a libertarian meant to choose your your camp, choose your faction, choose your dogma. <laughs> now the young generation doesn't see any need to do this. You know they're happy to grab ideas from everywhere, and there's a broad tolerance too towards um, a variety of of perspectives on everything. Well, there's, you you and I were talking about a new liber a new libertarianism. Yeah, which we, which we see emerging, right? Which is what yeah. you're. Which you're, which you're creeping up to in your remarks. Yeah. You and I have talked about this before. Yeah. You, you want to talk about the characteristics of what you see and what? Yeah. So I would say about? I would say that um, what's what's new about the new libertarianism is that it has no models to impose on the world, um, and that's really different. I think there's always been a tendency in the past among libertarians that we we, we sort of think we know how the world's supposed to work and we're going to make it work like that, like that. But in the in the new libertarianism, there's an absolute openness towards you know. Um, whatever results society itself would generate, and so that necessarily leads to a sort of a broad-based tolerance for
for a multiplicity of, of social forms um, that we didn't see in, in libertarianism in the past. So whether it's legal arrangements, um, there's a, there's an absence of nationalism in the new libertarianism, I would say. So so there's a global perspective. Um, this this plays in very very uh, intensely with the. Uh, there was a radical sort of anti-racialist perspectives that you get among this young generation and also the uh, the uh, praise of, of, of feminism as a social force because you know all around the world you know the states are states are oppressing uh, women and this is a very important issue and then young libertarians are very anxious to embrace um, libertarian means as a way of fulfilling these sort of what, you, what are sometimes considered sort of left-wing social ends, you know, like, like anti-racialism, anti-racism, anti-sexism, but these are non-negotiable tenets within the new libertarian. It's, it's not like they're anti, it's like it's not even an issue for them, right? It's, it's like, not an issue. And also there's, you know, here's the other thing. Um, you know, among the young generation, there are new standards of civility, you know, and to be a bigot is just considered to be un uncivil and tacky and, you know, being a jerk, okay? So... Uh, tolerance for being a jerk is just very low <laughs> among uh, the new libertarianism, I would well, say. Well, they're, they're real individualists, I think. They respect women for who they are. They respect yeah, people of a certain age for who they are. I mean, everyone is who they are, but there's no preset categories. Yeah, that's right. And also, of course, you know, the foreign policy issues are interesting. I mean, anti-war ideology is also you know, presumed to be uh, – that's just that, – that's just Take it for granted, yeah. That's how we be. You know, so, so civil liberties, uh, peace, uh, toleration, property rights, pro-wealth, pro-progress, which is another interesting aspect, I would say, about the new libertarianism. Uh, you know, the, the reactionary attitudes of, of the past that you would sometimes find in libertarian circles seem to be entirely vanquished in favor of, of progress. I mean, this is a generation that sees progress around them every day. Um, you know that you pick up your cell phones. You've got a new, a new update in your app. It's better today than it was yesterday. You know the, the technology is always getting better, really, by the hour, and it's all being generated by the market, by the private sector. In other words, by society itself. Uh, the state, uh, meanwhile, is another feature about I would say the new libertarianism is that uh, there's a, a strong sort of anti-cop, anti-police uh, state element to it. Which, unlike Stefan, when you or I were young, where the cops, you know, seemed, you know, maybe they were variously threatening, but also there was a widespread procession. They were sort of part of society. You know, they helped right. you, got, and, and, and you know, they'd help your cat out of the tree. You know, uh, uh, you could turn to them if you were in trouble or whatever. Now that myth is just entirely vanquished um, since the militarization of the police, and now the police are just uh, the enemy. They're there to enforce. Exactly all the kinds of laws these these uh, young generation just hates, like you know the the absolute oppression of of uh, the drinking age laws, for example, or uh, the drug laws. Um, these things are oppressive and evil, and that's what the cops are there to do. Uh, so there's a sort of consistent anti-statism that's presumed uh, among these people. Well, I think that um, in a way. I wish I'd been born later because things are coming that are great. But in, a, in another way, you and I are privileged. We're bridging the gap between two generations, right? We, we've actually seen the change because in the last 10 or 20 years has been amazing changes, right? Um, you see the attitudes of people towards the cops and towards the state, towards technology. Um, so we're, we're going through 
these sea changes, right, of, 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 of what's happening. I see a comment from Duke here. Okay, so we have some people joining now. So even yeah, though this yeah. is our first 500 first podcast, uh, we're, we're getting some, uh, so some traction here. Stephen, I think you need to change your camera so it's not always just you on top, but whoever's speaking ends up being on top. I think you can do that just by, by unclicking your, your, uh, your window. I'm not entirely sure. Are you not showing? I thought you. No, I am, but I'm. I'm sort of floating on the bottom. I mean, I think the ideal way these things work is that whoever's speaking, you know, ends up showing up on top. Oh, I thought you were. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. Oh, you are seeing that. I see you. When you're speaking, you're the one in the main window. Oh, okay, then I'm sure everything's everything's just great. Anyway, so oh, here's another distinguishing feature of the new libertarianism: is it's it's like. It's tremendously hopeful about the future. I mean, despite all the sort of horror, horribleness of the world, uh, you know, the new libertarianism, you know, refuses to let it get you down. And looking for opportunities in every possible way. I mean, so what, what are we going to do? Are we just going to give up? Are we going to confront this uh, with bravery and courage, creativity, and a certain slickness of mind, and make the best of, you know, create and forge a new wonderful world you know, out of it. Uh, in a way, this 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 invites a kind of uh, vogue of a certain a certain uh, revolutionary disobedient attitude, uh, so that whatever the state you know is in favor of or whatever, basically, you know, they're 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 glad to ignore it and and do something completely different. I mean, I've variously written that this is the sort of Breaking Bad generation, you know, <laughs> and it's true. I mean, there's a, you know a complete disrespect for for whatever it is that the regime uh, wants them to do, because the regime has been completely discredited, actually. So anyway, I just I just love it because you know you combine all these values of oh like one of the the most popular T-shirt at the conference uh, read peace, love, liberty. You know, I mean that's just that's an interesting sort of I don't think you would have seen that that shirt. In no, I think I think that's one change I've noticed. You've noticed. We've talked about it. Um, all these things that we would have maybe sneered at as being kind of hippie, you know, right. crap in the old days, like a, a peace symbol. We love this stuff now, right? We, uh, people with tattoos, no one cares. If you have a different hairstyle, right. no one cares. Everyone's tolerant. Right. Um, like you said, they're a little bit more libertine in a certain way now, but in a sort of a personal, cool way, like, hey, I own my body, I own my life. Right. Whatever. Right. They're not like he is. They're they're not going crazy. They're not going wild. Right. I don't. You know. Uh, I I think somebody might in the past have described this attitude as so-called so thick libertarianism. I'm not mm. entirely sure. I'm happy with that designation, really, because I'm not always sure. You know what it means, but um, but certainly there's a, a strong desire to explore all the ways in which uh, the liberty-minded idea has not. Only a political application, but also has applications in our personal lives and how we conduct ourselves. You know what what's considered right and wrong. Um, you know what are the codes and uh, manners and etiquette that should prevail among us. All these kinds of issues are heavily informed by the libertarian idea, which makes sense to me. I mean, you know, I mean, if libertarian is, is going to be really meaningful. It's got to be more than a pure political philosophy. I mean, the big problem is that, of course, uh, we don't control the state. So, you know, 
uh, given that, libertarianism rendered as a pure political uh, outlook, outlook is disempowering. I mean, so what? Do you want the state to do this or not to do that? I mean, that reduces libertarianism to just a complete academic abstraction. Whereas this young generation wants to know the ways in which libertarianism actually pertains to their lives so that they can themselves experience a freer life despite despotisms all around them. Well, why don't we talk uh, – let's let's not skip over it. Let's talk about your Bitcoin conference. I mean this was an amazing achievement. I mean there's so many things. You're doing one thing a week basically right now. So are you there? Jeff, are you there? Hello? Can everyone hear me? Hello? Am I there? There's something going on with the camera. Hello? Jeff, you there? I hear you. He seems Who's to have disappeared. Cole? Yeah. Hey, Cole. How you doing? Good, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. This is a, a first uh, broadcast. Uh, so this is Stefan. Now I'm talking with Cole. I wasn't clear how on-air worked, Google Hangouts on-air. I didn't know if people would... Uh, uh, be able to just chat or join in or what, but good. So you had your microphone muted? Like yeah. A polite guest, very, very <laughs> nice Yeah. Well, yeah. while we wait for Jeff to come back, why don't you, uh, you want to talk about anything or comment on anything you've heard? or? Um, not, not in particular. I, I actually okay. was bummed I couldn't meet up with Jeffrey the other night. I live in New York City. And, uh, oh, yeah? Why I, generally, do? I generally don't do... Yeah, I, I very rarely leave my apartment. I love it here, but uh, that particular night, my older brother had a show going on in the city, and my parents were coming into town, so I had dinner with them and went to my brother's show. So, just wasn't able to do it. Let me go. Oh, there he is. Back. Jeff, you back? I'll mute myself again. That's okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, no, Cole, you want to? Uh, why don't you unmute yourself and continue what you were saying? Uh, Jeff, while you're in your absence, did yeah. you uh, have a, a technical glitch here? I don't know. I guess. So anyway, Cole, Cole was—he's in New York. He—he he couldn't make your uh, your meetup because okay. he doesn't leave the apartment that much. But he says he <laughs> would have liked to. I know. I'm I'm simplifying. But go ahead, Cole. No, I just had my my brother had a show in the city that night. My parents were in town. We had dinner, but uh, I was bummed I couldn't. The one night I had things going on, and that was the night you're in town. Ah. <laughs> it was really fun. Um, there were some people leaving the New York Philharmonic concert where they were playing like Shostakovich was 11. And, nice. And they came out on the sidewalk and like they recognized um, uh, recognized me and some other people hanging out. And so they like they joined too. And we all just began to talk about uh, talk about um, you know symphonic music and it was just really blast. You know, it was just overall just a blast. Yeah, looked like it. Yeah. Um, Stefan, where did I end up when I was talking about thick libertarianism, right? Yeah, go ahead. So my point was just simply that that libertarianism has to be more than just a political doctrine because, because we don't control the state. We have essentially no personal control whatsoever about what the state does or doesn't do. There has to be some application of the libertarian, of the grand idea of liberty in a realm which we do control, and the main thing that we do control is ourselves. 
So there's a, a, you know, a push among the young generation to try to discover the ways in which the ideas of liberty actually pertain to themselves. You know, and this is, this is why the emphasis on, 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 on etiquette, on civility, on, on uh, not being a jerk, on good personal relationships, on good financial management, on starting businesses, that, you know, it's a drive to sort of personalize the, the liberty project and create freedoms in our own social worlds, even in times when the state is so despotic. And so I'm kind of excited about this. I, I don't I don't know that the word thick libertarianism is a good description of this. I would call it sort of the personalization of the libertarian idea. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I agree completely with you. Um, but what we were talking about earlier was uh, one thing that we noticed in the, uh, let's say, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Bitcoin conference in Atlanta. I'd say about one-third of the audience was not libertarian, something like right. that. But they're around anarchists and Austrians and uh, radicals, and everyone got along with each other. And in, in these other libertarian and free market conferences, when you have people that meet, uh, there's like little judgment. Everyone gets along. They right. don't care where you're from. They don't care if you're from Germany or you know, Turkey or another country. Um, everyone is very tolerant. They're not nationalistic. You know, if one guy's got tattoos and dreadlocks, nobody cares. If you're if you have a different sexual preference, nobody really cares. They care about respect, individualism, progress, ideas, um, and I think that's a good thing. It's it's uh, it's it's a cosmopolitan thing. That's right. You know, and speaking of the gay issues, I don't think we've come up with um, we've said anything about gay marriage, but that was 100% across the board. There was absolutely no question that part of the, of the libertarian idea is to take the whole idea of marriage away from the government and uh, make, make individual liberty the, the decisive thing as regards our human associations, which of course would include uh, you know, non-criminal, sort of decriminalization of, of gay, uh, of the LBT union, lesbian, gay, uh, LGBT unions of any sort. So as part of free association, and again, a non-negotiable aspect of the ethos of young libertarians. Yeah, and same thing with discrimination, prejudice, uh, yeah. ageism, yeah. drugs, drug bigotry. use. Any form of bigotry. Well, all. I mean, look, 20 years ago, if you had, had three or four or five jobs by the time you were 15 years into the workforce, you were labeled a job hopper. I don't even know if people nowadays know what that word means, job hopper. You know, they don't understand. What do you mean? You would actually ding someone for having had many jobs? Now it's right. just expected, or you can't avoid it, or it's a good thing. It's a good thing to hop from job to job, actually, and you have to do that if you're going to find the right kind of life that you want to live. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's idiotic and oppressive to aspire to have one position and keep it your entire life, actually. I mean... You know that that kind of life can be as oppressive as as in, as any other. So, um, and you know the job market is extremely tight nowadays, which is a driving force for you know inspiring a certain entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I mean, I talked to you know I don't know just dozens of kids at the, this weekend who are starting businesses. It's amazing. I mean, to think that you know in this group of New York libertarians, we're going to see. You know the great businesses of tomorrow. The great techno technologies are emerging uh, from 
from dorm rooms, you know, or, or rented apartments where four or five kids are living off ramen noodles and beer, you know, and and hacking code uh, on the nights and the weekends. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to see it. I mean, we're seeing a new world dawn. I mean, it's emerging. We're in the, the infancy of something magnificent. And people that are no longer looking to the state apparatus or the, all, all the corporate conventions to build their own futures, but are rather determined to build their own, to, to make a future for themselves. It reminds me of that generation, you know, from, uh, you know, the 1830s through the 18, 1880s and 90s, that essentially moved west, you know, that they knew that in moving west and settling new territories, they're giving up their security and their income and their attachments to families, whatever. So what are they seeking? They're seeking an opportunity to, to do something magnificent, you know, to create a brilliant future for themselves, to carve out institutions of their own creation, to make a dent in the universe and do something great and marvelous, even at personal sacrifice. So that same impulse is what's what's leading these uh, these uh, kids today to take jobs that they don't particularly like, but are uh, using all their extra income and all their extra time to try to make something uh, marvelous, mostly in the digital space. So it's mostly from what you've seen, the growth in the movement is as among the young. Yeah, I mean, of this particular variety, and I think it's a, it's, it's a particularly impressive form of libertarianism that I've never seen before because it's so, it's not politically active, but it's personally active, and it's economically active. Um, it's like, it's like the, the message has finally come through, that if you want freedom, you're going to have to claim it and make it and build it yourself. So let's talk a little bit more about the uh, this weekend because, I mean… We're gliding over events that are monumentally important and impressive, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Bitcoin conference itself uh, was incredible, Jeff. And you and I have both done Libertopia and other type of events in the last couple of years that um, have shown us the diversity and the broadness of the movement. You've been to, to Porkfest and uh, Freedom Fest and uh, New Hampshire and other, you know, Las Vegas, other locales. Uh, you're doing. Uh, you've you've been to the Mises Institutes in Canada, I think, and you're going to one a Mises group in Australia soon. But um, I'm curious about this. Your Friday and your Saturday night events in New York City just two or three days ago. So you just did an impromptu invite on Facebook, like I'm going to be at this bar, and you basically had 50 people show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you also told me that the crowd that showed up was not overlapping very much with the crowd of the Students for Liberty crowd on Saturday, which at which you spoke on right. in New York City, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about both both of those um, crowds yeah. and both of those events. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> the Friday night event was fun because I met a lot of people in real life that I had been you know engaged with on in social media for for a few years, you know. And it's a little unusual stuff, and if you think about it, like it would have never been possible in the whole history of humanity to have met 50 people for the first time and still experienced a sense of, you know, friendliness and openness and, and intimacy almost. You yeah, know? They're, they're not they're not like arguing with you or saying, oh, you're wrong on this theory and you're an asshole or whatever. No. They're actually friendly and outgoing and happy right. to meet each other and cooperative and, and supportive. Right. And the discomfort that comes with um, meeting somebody for the first time yeah. is, is completely gone. 
I mean, that's pretty weird, right? I mean, so the, I'm meeting, meeting many of these people I met for the first time, but I recognize their names and their faces uh, from social media, and it's like, hello, it's great to see you. Oh, my God, it's so wonderful. You know, it's so great to meet you at long last, right? So there's already, like, a deep familiarity. So it's kind of explosive, really, to put, like, 50 people in a room uh, who are not that familiar with each other and yet we know each other through social networks and we're meeting for the first time. And, you know, it's, it's like a family reunion or something. You know, that sort of sense of, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I mean, cool. That's cool. Yeah, so te only technology is sort of cobbled together these kinds of physical... It's uh, like a spontaneous uh, file, right? Doug Casey talks about P-H-Y-L-E-S files, right? It's like a right. file. Right, so just inc inconceivable, really, and 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 there's like an infectious energy, you know, that that that, ha that happens in this kind of in this kind of setting that you wouldn't have otherwise had, and then you get to know each other a little bit better, and you look at each other in the eyes for the first time. And there's something you know marvelous about that, and then uh, and then of course the students for Liberty thing, you have never quite seen anything like it, uh, and by the way. Um, this is just one of, like, I think four or five regional meetings that happened that day. So, like, there was something going on in New York at the same time. There was something going on in Dallas and something going on in Chicago. You know, so, I mean, this is like a social movement. You see why I'm, I'm saying it's more of a social than a political movement? You know, because they're not getting together going, you, you know, talking about politics, really. I mean, politics is, like, presumed. They're getting together to share each other, share ideas, uh, share uh, um, thoughts about what, what books are cool, what movies are great, what music they like, what apps to, you know, they, they're doing to trade Bitcoin, for example. And Bitcoin is very uh, hugely popular among uh, the students for the Liberty set, you know, of course. Uh, so the, this, how, how many bitcoins did you receive or spend? Um, oh, I probably I probably did about you know half a dozen, maybe ten ten transactions. You know, and it's just it's part of the fun of getting together in these kinds of groups. It's like oh, you got bitcoin, great, now let's trade, boom boom. You know, it's just, you did just with your, with your iPhone, right? Yeah, just because it's fun, right? <laughs> right. And then of course there's always the people that are like, what is this bitcoin thing anyway? So then you start over and explain it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Um, by the way, I really enjoyed Steve Horowitz's lecture um, at this event, and I think he kind of lays out a template for how many of these young people are sort of understanding the world. What he talks about is, is the progressive heritage of the liberty-minded agenda, and he goes through you know sort of the 19th century history about how capitalism and uh, old-style liberalism is essentially what liberated women from oppression through through technology, through elimination of legal disabilities, you know, how uh, the libertarian idea was behind the anti-slavery anti movement, and um, every movement that's seeking to remove uh, 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 legal barriers to, to progress for all classes and races, and really, really claimed libertarian heritage for every good thing that's happened for the last uh, 200 years. And and also reclaiming the word progressive for our, for ourselves, which I like that term, and I've liked it for some years. I mean, I actually prefer it. I mean, why should we? Why should well? Also, libertarians are the only people that these days that really seem to be in favor as real champions of progress. I mean, the left wants to roll back economic development and sort of return us to some mythical golden age before what the the industrial revolution or some nonsense like this. And the right, you know, is just obsessed with um, you know. You know, hammering together some sort of 1950s style 
cultural institutions and using force to uh, prevent them from changing, you know, along with, you know, backing this, the national security state, you know, which basically leaves libertarians as the only true advocates of, of, of progress and development. Yeah, radicalism, progressivism, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, progressivism. Reminds me so much of, of um, the early communists uh, in the late 19th century, sort of these this utopian ideals expressed in these, in these social networks, you know, that, uh, you know, that dreamed of a beautiful future of, of, of prosperity and justice for all of humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in many ways, that, that those early socialists, you know, uh, uh, turn of the century uh, had a, a wonderful vision. They just had, you know, a terrible uh, naivety about the means to achieve it. Um, but that same spirit that you dis detect in the early socialist writings, you see, you know, emerging among the, the new libertarians, you know, full of hope and energy and a real confidence um, in, in confronting our opponents and in looking towards uh, the future. And I, you, you see what I mean, Stefan? I haven't really seen this in the past. This is, a, to me, like a dream come true, you know, to observe this. It's something I've, I've, I've looked for my entire life. I mean, this sort well, of... Well, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, 10, 15 years ago, you heard people say that, oh, look at the Austrian libertarian movement. Uh, when I was younger, there was five people in an apartment in Manhattan or whatever, and we've really grown since then. But now there's a whole generation beyond that. So it's a step change. Um, yeah. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a eclectic. You know, I think what you have, if you're going to draw a kind of a modal a picture of the typical students for liberty, you've got Rothbardian ethical theory, uh, sort of sort of a, a, a Randian uh, confidence, Bezian mm -hmm. uh, economics, a uh, mm -hmm. Hayekian style social theory. Mm -hmm. um, Maybe there's a fifth element in there somewhere that I would have to throw in. I'm not sure what it is. Well, it's it's maybe what you and I talked about. There's it seems to be there's a lot of really 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 smart people we meet that have a lot of the basics figured out, but they're learning in different ways than we did 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. They're not re they're not reading dusty old systematic tomes and treatises that much. They're they're reading podcasts, blog posts, talking to people at conferences, talking on Facebook um, conversations. And you'll see these people that have these insights that took me 20 years to get to, right? Um, and maybe they're not, they couldn't do a scholarly paper on it, but right. they don't care. They don't want to. They're not academics. So it's the way they, they learn, I think. It's a little bit more helter-skelter now. It's almost like Google searching, right? If you don't remember a fact, you just search it on Google and you find it. Right. simple information, right? Uh, they're intelligent. They're very intelligent, and these ideas should be accessible to people no matter how they come at them. Oh, if I were going to add a fifth element, I would say Kinsella-style analytics on, on uses of information. You know, this is the generation that was raised with piracy, the idea of intellectual property or somehow caging ideas, you know, in some sort of legislative sliced and diced way is, is absurd. You know, the whole lesson that emerges from your intellectual property work is just part of the tableau of, of the way uh, the young generation sees the world. Yeah, I do see a lot of people um, uh, adopting that approach, uh, just intuitively and naturally, because that's the, the natural way of the world. Um, they know that these restrictions are nonsense. They, they distrust the state. There's sort of an implicit anarchism even among the non-anarchists. Like, right. you don't see them fighting too much to defend the state anymore among us. Right. 
<laughs> they're well, not that passionate about defending the state, even right. if they. It's, it's the same way. There's an implicit anarchism in, in Hayek's own work. Yes. Right. I mean, so that yes, it's true that Hayek, you know, would variously say, "Oh, sure, we should have old age insurance," or blah blah blah. You know, you you admit it. But basically, in his writings, he's presuming that society can work on its own, uh, that it doesn't need management from the center, uh, that there's nothing crucial, uh, important about the state that makes life uh, better. Yeah, so yeah, there's a, a, a presumed, I think what you just call it, implicit anarchism there. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk. Let's let's wrap it up in a little bit, unless there's anything you want to add. I think we should um, we could talk a little bit about a couple of interesting articles. One you just wrote, and one you I think have planned that we were talking about. One about fifty ways was it fifty ways to leave Leviathan? Right. I elaborated a little bit about on that in my in my in my speech. Um, my speech is about the last days of Leviathan, about how all the systems. The structures of the state are kind of uh, breaking down because they're no longer effective. It's not that they're going away; they're just less and less relevant to our lives, right? So, all the technologies we, we use emerge from the private sector, and uh, the systems and the infrastructures built by the state in the past, whether it's edu education or money or security or courts and justice and everything else, um, are either useless or just a pure menace. So we're seeing, you know, the private sector just generating these alternative solutions in a in a in a way that's faster than the state itself can control it. Um, I mean, what, one of the fun things I did was uh, when I first thing I got to when I did when I got to the airport in New York is just press my Uber button uh, to call a cab, right? And so you just press the button, and the you know suddenly the 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 map arrives. You can see the driver, you know, pulling up towards you. And, yeah, it charges your card automatically, and this is you know entirely. This is a beautiful system, much more spectacular than anything the state's ever invented, and um, you know it, it it emerges you know purely from the private sector, and that was one of the ideas in the Fifty Ways to Leave Leviathan. But you know there there are thousands and thousands more. I mean, every innovation in a way helps break down. Uh, the regulatory apparatus. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, the state's trying to slow down Uber, but you can see the wave of the future. You can see what's coming, right? The state can slow things down. They can throw sand in the machinery. <laughs> uh, I think, to my mind, yeah, right. a, a good uh, contrast is the Bitcoin versus gold bug sort of thing, where the older paradigm among libertarians is to be sort of hard money advocates, gold bugs, silver bugs, and and I, you and I kind of agree with that uh, because as Austrians and as sure. you know, hard money advocates. But their political program is to try to lobby the state to change the laws, to make gold acceptable again, right? Yeah. To change the Federal Reserve's policies. What is, what's the chance of that? I mean like no yeah, chance. What's the chance of that? And but Bitcoin is like just as an end run around the state. I mean this is why some people are so discombobulated by it. Both libertarians of the old stripe and of course the main the statists and the mainstreamers they don't quite get it, but these young people and these tech guys and these entrepreneurs, not even libertarians, like at your Bitcoin conference, um, they just say, "Listen, we don't we don't need to wait for a lob for 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 a legislator to agree with us. We don't need to wait for the Federal Reserve to adopt a policy. Let's just adopt a money that's decentralized, pseudo anonymous, not controlled by the state, has perfect features of money in many respects, and just use it and go around the state." Yeah. And it's just fantastic, and that's what people are doing. Well, that's this is the this is the thing about Bitcoin is in many ways the template uh, because it's in, radically implausible, uh, you know, out, outrageously uh, creative. Nobody five years ago would have believed 
that it could have uh, achieved what it's, what it's achieved. In many ways, you have to just kind of be humble in the face of it. And this is why I urged people in my speech. I, I, I told everybody, I said, you know, it's the worst mistake libertarians could ever make to presume that they know. You think you know, you don't know. Actually, the market is way more brilliant as an institutional generator of information and innovation than any individual in this room or even the total composite of all the knowledge in this room. Right. So you can't ever stop looking out the window. You can't ever stop expecting beautiful surprises to emerge once human beings, you know, put their minds to it and and be creative. I mean, it's 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 we, it, you know, I think libertarians in the past have had a certain arrogance about the way we think the world should work. Uh, in fact, the market is smarter than both the left and the right, and even smarter than libertarians. <laughs> you know, we, we have to defer to it. And we should hope. We should hope so. Yeah, we have to learn from it. So um, that that was the upshot of, of of my speech. I also urge people to you know to read you know everything. Yes, read the canonical text, but also don't isolate yourself. It's a ridiculous thing to actually have to. I shouldn't have to tell anybody this because these days there is no longer such a thing as isolation, intellectually or socially or otherwise. If you are plugged into the modern world. You are being just uh, flooded with information from every uh, source, and I think this leads to a much more sophisticated and well-rounded and broad-based liberty-mindedness than we've ever seen up to this point in history. Oh, someone asks on the chat, "Is that Red Man?" I do believe it is Red Man. Jeff is a um, he is a politically incorrect tobacco uh, user. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be brandishing my Red Man, you know. On, on camera here. <laughs> yeah, you know, Obama wants you to change the name of that, I think, probably to, uh, you know... Yeah, isn't that funny? Because it's such a great celebration of, of America's past in, in some ways, you know? I mean, um, American culture has always had a deep love for uh, Native Americans. If you look at the old coinage before the government took it over, um, they often had, you know, Indians as the great symbol of, 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 of courage and, and independence is what we all aspired to be. Yeah, have you heard the latest is the um, the controversy over this Redskins team, right? Their name is a, so someone says they should just be called the Skins. <laughs> I mean, come on. I know people need a cause, right? I mean, it's just it's all a little bit silly. If you need a cause. Let's let's have the cause of liberty. But um, why don't we? Um, I think so. This has been a little bit rocky start for technologically for our podcast, which we thought. But um, talk about going future. I think you and I are going to try to do this uh, about once a week. Yeah. On a regular day when we can find the right day. We yeah. welcome feedback from listeners, questions, uh, input during the you know, during the, the Google Hangout. So um, should be fun. Yeah, I think it's really gonna be great. And uh, we'll just uh, choose a topic space on what's going on, right? Oh, I want to mention one other thing about the Students for Liberty. Uh, I think in February there's the International Students for Liberty Conference. I went to it last year inadvertently, actually, as it turns out. I just happened to show up and it was going on. Um, there might be 2,500 people there. I mean, it's going to be that big and that, uh, that spectacular. And you can tell that everybody's already looking forward to it and talking about it. So, um, And it's not limited to students. I think anybody can come, and everybody should come, because uh, if, you don't, if there's ever a day when you're feeling depressed about the future, this will certainly purge that from your mind. That sounds great. Um, so we will catch up with each other next week, and uh, we'll have fun doing this. So tell everyone goodbye. We will see you later. Feel free to email us questions and uh, suggestions. 
and we will work to improve the format. But uh, signing off for now, I'm Stephen Casella in Houston. Good to see you, Stephen. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye.